Welcome in Women Really Mean Business presented by Athena International. Now I'm going to give you a little note before this. You're going to hear me refer to Northeast Pennsylvania in this interview and you're going to think naturally it's in the northeastern corner of Pennsylvania. But stay with me on this. It's in the northwestern corner of Pennsylvania. There's a town called Northeast Pennsylvania. So It's near Erie, PA, which is right on Lake Erie. So I just want to give you the geography before we get into this interview. And our interview is with Peggy Hauser. She moved from corporate America to ownership of Grape Arbor Bed and Breakfast in Northeast Pennsylvania and talks about that transition, but also educates us on how to interact positively with customers after thousands of experiences with her guests. And don't forget, you can become a patron if you're looking for some extra from Peggy, we have them. Just check out the top of womenreallymeanbusiness.com. All right, without further ado, let's get into episode number 54 now. Welcome to Women Really Mean Business presented by Athena International, the podcast that tells you the story of how women are impacting business one guest at a time. Now here's your host, Jeff Bolitnikoff with another successful woman and her unique business journey. Women Really Mean Business, presented by Athena International. I'm Jeff Blitnikoff, and I think this is a first for this podcast. We have a owner of a bed and breakfast, but in her bio, and we're going to bring Peggy Hauser into the conversation in just a second, she is the owner-innkeeper of the Grape Arbor Bed and Breakfast, a great bed and breakfast that's in a community just outside Erie in Northeast Pennsylvania. And a lot of people, and this is from Peggy's bio, they think that being an owner innkeeper means you get to make coffee and chat with the guests. I guess maybe for those of us old enough to remember uh, the new heart from back in the eighties, maybe people get that. (laughs) You're laughing, but I bet you people, people get that image in their heads, right, Peggy? Exactly. I have so many people that tell me that it's their dream to be the owner of a bed and breakfast. It's like, come in and work with me for a day or two. Let's see if you feel the same. Yeah, (laughs) it reminds me of a time where I tried to work in a florist shop when I was about 14 because I figured easy plants, no big deal. Right. And they had me clean the mildew off of every pot. I think that's what they called it in the in the in the greenhouse. And I'm like, this is hard work. And as you say in your bio, you have you know everything that an entrepreneur needs social media marketing human resources building maintenance finance budgeting and but you have to serve it all with a smile in a historic building and you have a longer story than just um the ownership of a bed and breakfast there's uh, quite a lot behind that as well, if that isn't enough, right? Because it's uh, there's a lot going on to be an owner of anything, but you have a history even behind that. So I'd like to bring you in and officially welcome you and give you the microphone. Peggy, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for your time. Well, thanks, Jeff. It's wonderful to be here. So let's talk about, uh, first of all, your your very interesting journey from really let's let's be honest 
a lot of no's. Well, and I think even in your bio, when you were in the industry, I want you to get into all this, but they said, what was it they said? They said, well, it, you have to be male, married, and a veteran. That's that's really the way to get in management. You're probably thinking, oh, this is nice. And uh, but <laughs> it, it just caused you to work harder. So I'd like you to you know, start at the beginning with your whole story, which I think people are going to find quite interesting. Okay, sure, Jeff. Actually, I started out in a consumer finance company at the age of 19 as a clerk typist. I had to fudge my way through the the typing test because I'm not a particularly proficient typer. But for some reason, the guy who was interviewing liked me and hired me as a clerk typist. And at that point, I worked there for a couple of years, wanted to join the management training program, but I had to be 21 in order to do that. And the management training program there basically trained you to be able to run an office, which meant you made all of the lending decisions, you collected the loans that you made, and you were responsible for the profitability of that office. So uh, at age 21, right after my birthday, I went into the management training program. The fact of the matter was the company was under a consent decree at the time, so they were very anxious to hire uh, women and minorities because, as, as you said, as they told me later, they actually had a profile for who would make a successful manager. And that was male, married, and a veteran. And I was one of those things. So I uh, went through the management training program and managed five separate offices in varying degrees. What they do is they start you at a smaller office, and then you go on to larger offices. And at some point, they uh, designate that perhaps you're ready or... Uh, able to do bigger and better things. So at one point, they came in and gave me this huge, big speech. Um, Are you ready to take the challenge? And wouldn't tell me what the challenge was until I said yes. And then it was uh, basically to go to their biggest branch in Boston at that point, and which meant it was a leadership track to become a district manager. So, of course, I said yes and uh, worked in Boston during the period of busing in Boston. So running the office, as I said, it meant making the loans, collecting the loans. So that also meant doing door-to-door collection in some pretty not nice areas of Boston. So that was sort of interesting. Did eventually get promoted to district manager. And as when I was promoted, I was the youngest woman and only the third woman ever to be in that slot. And um, honestly, at that point, I had decided that I wanted that position because so many people had told me that I couldn't get it. And so uh, I was aiming to be 10 years in the company, which at that point I was when I was fully vested. And at that point, my plan was to take the money that the vesting gave me and go get my master's degree, which is what I did. And I got my master's degree in one year and went from that into the banking field and held quite a number of jobs in the banking field from a credit analyst to commercial workout, which is doing the same thing I did for consumers except for companies, which actually is pretty interesting. And then, uh, Moving along, went and was chief credit officer and moved around the country a number of different places, ending up at a mortgage company and working in the subprime industry. And most people who are familiar, familiar with the finance industry are familiar with uh, the word subprime and know what happened in that industry in and around 2008. 
And in 2002, when I was in that industry, I saw generally what was going on and felt pretty helpless to be able to do anything about it. In fact, I was even being excluded from meetings because I refused to lie about things in the portfolio that they were trying to sell. And it was at that point, it's like, I need to do something else. And I started looking around because I had changed jobs an awful number of times from one company to another and kept thinking it was just, you know, the job that wasn't making me happy. And when I looked around and thought about it, it's like, maybe it's not the job, maybe it's me. And so I actually went to a career counselor and took all the aptitude tests to try and decide, well, what am I better suited to do? And was a little bit taken aback when the career counselor told me, I'm not sure I can help you because you intimidate me. And it's like, oh, I intimidate you when you're supposed to be helping me. So I guess I need to just figure this out myself. So I looked at everything in all of the aptitude tests and everything that I was doing and thought, hmm, I like cooking. I like doing all this other stuff. I can run a business. Why not do a bed and breakfast? Yeah, that's what I want to do. So at that point, we started looking around for where we might want to do this business and thought we wanted to be around the Pittsburgh area or north of Pittsburgh because that's where my and husband's family lived. And so that's what we did. We bought a two historic buildings in northeast Pennsylvania that at the time were not a running bed and breakfast, but had been, did not really have a book of business to be able to look at what they've been able to do. And I just said, I should be able to figure this out. It can't be all that hard. And started from zero business to where we are today, where I've got a staff of four and thousands of absolutely happy and satisfied guests. And along the way, I've learned how to uh, repair plumbing. I've learned what to do when a tree falls through a window when a guest is in a room during Hurricane Sandy, what to do when the ceiling falls down, when the pipes burst, and all kinds of fun things like that. <laughs> yeah, being a business owner, I mean, they often joke that you have to be the chief cook and bottle washer. And I guess, well, really, are you are the chief cook because of... Uh, being the owner, at least probably initially you were because uh, you have to make the guests happy. But let's talk about that transition that you made. So you, and again, and I know that there's a lot of aspects of running a bed and breakfast. Of course, like you just said, it's a business and it combined a lot of things that you really like to do, but it had to have been at least in the first couple of years, a bit of a culture shock for you in that you went from really dealing with mainly financial terms and that being your whole day to finances, of course, an important part of what you do because you have to keep the business afloat, but so much more than that to run a bed and breakfast and especially making guests happy, creating experiences for them. So how, how were you able to do all that? Well, I think where the culture shock was coming from a corporate environment where you had, you know, staff and other departments to help you figure out things when things went wrong to, you know, not having an IT staff to have to figure out all the computer stuff yourself to do all the marketing yourself. And uh, I think what really helped me in the very beginning stages was I very actively immersed myself in um, some of the uh, local 
groups. There was a Northwestern bed, uh, PA Bed and Breakfast Association that I that I joined, and there there were other innkeepers that I could talk to. I went to conferences and talked to other people who did who did exactly you know what I was doing. As well as because we had moved across the country to buy this place, I had never been in Erie or uh, Northeast before. So again, I had to find my way of, of what was going on in the area so that I could do it for the guests. And frankly, that was the best experience of all because me figuring out what the, all the great things that there are to do makes me a much better ambassador for everyone who comes here. Because I think so many of the things in the area are underrated because there really are tons of wonderful and fun things to do. And I've got to talk about where you're at, because I'm an Erie native. I live in Pittsburgh now, of course. And mm-hmm. Erie is about two hours north of Pittsburgh. It sits right on Lake Erie. And you're about mm-hmm. 20 minutes to the east of downtown Erie. But your business is aptly named. And by the way, if you want to go to Peggy's business, it's grapearborbnb.com. And that's B a n d b so it's grape arbor b and b dot com and it's aptly named because where you're at is really grape country a lot of a lot of people may not know that but mm-hmm. when grape season and grape harvesting is going on the smell of grapes through your area is just wonderful it's it's one of the it's one of the pleasures of being in that region Exactly. It's like sticking your face into a bunch of Welch's grape jelly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And what people don't realize that it is actually the second largest conquered grape growing area in the United States. That's right. And I think they, uh, there's a lot of the producers there that do produce for Welch's. So it's a, uh, mm-hmm. so if you have Welch's at your table, then you can maybe think that they came from Northeast and that those same grapes are being grown near Grape Arbor Bed and Breakfast. But let's, let's talk about something you said earlier just made me think about, uh, and I know you're, as you said, your husband's or your then husband's family was from around the region, but did you look at other areas before settling on it? Or was it just more of like the family ties that drew you to the area? It was one of these at, at the time it was, this was something that I wanted to do. So I said to him, you pick where we do it. And he wanted to be closer to his family. So it was, it was, it was fine with me. So we really only looked basically north or within the environs of Pittsburgh and stumbled upon uh, Northeast totally by accident because we were looking in some areas not quite as far north. And a funny story of how we even heard about the place being for sale, uh, we went to a uh, a conference for aspiring innkeepers, yes, there is such a thing, in Chicago, and met a woman who was there uh, from Northeast, who was there uh, representing the Spencer House, which is in Chautauqua, and got to talking, and she told me about the buildings that were for sale in Northeast and came back and said, hmm, maybe that's someplace we want to go and see. And honestly, uh, after we went to see it, that was always the leading contender because of the opportunities there for tourism, the size of the property was the size that we wanted to, that I wanted to have because uh, you need to have a specific size to be able to be more than a hobby as a bed and breakfast, but to be a real business. 
as well as uh, businesses in Northeast, and there is Mercyhurst there and some other colleges nearby that would be good for business. So running a bed and breakfast, and I think I would be remiss if I didn't ask this question because there's a lot of people here that, probably would like to experience a bed and breakfast. There might be some people that go to hotels or whatnot. And you'd even mentioned before, or I I think I'd read it in your bio, that it's becoming increasingly tough out there, you know, especially with Airbnbs coming in and all those types of things. Mm -hmm. But how do people, well, first of all, tell me about the advantages of going to a bed and breakfast. And then if I do decide to go to a bed and breakfast, how should I maximize my experience? What, what are some to do's of being at a bed and breakfast that would allow me to get the most out of it? Well, I think the advantage of staying at a bed and breakfast is that you are going to have an owner that lives on site who has lived in the area and is familiar and will be able to steer you to all of the places that are going to match exactly what you want to do versus, you know, if you're at a hotel and I stayed at many hotels traveling for, for corporate and you go to, and they have, you know, there's somebody there who really doesn't know anything, doesn't really care. But I will specifically, when somebody say, well, what should I do? Then of course the next question to the guest is, well, what do you like to do? What kind of things do you enjoy? Uh, what I actually ended up doing because I got so many questions about the wineries because of a number of wineries in our area grew from the time I started with the B&B from 12 to 25 right now. So, I mean, that's a lot. And so guests will say, well, which winery should I go to? What's your favorite? I actually have written a book called The Insider's Guide that basically describes the types of wine that each winery makes, uh, where they're located, and, you know, what are the fun things to see with the winery? In other words, if you want to go for a gift shop, or do you want to go for a view, uh, or do you want to go because the servers are the most fun to deal with? Uh, I can point you in the right direction, which will save you a lot of time when you're really trying to find which winery to go to. I think the most expensive, the most important thing to answer your question is the owner and to talk to the owner about what it is that you want to do while you're in the area. I mean, I very specifically on my website make sure I put lots of things and even some specific itineraries on things to do. Well, let's talk about transitions. You had mentioned earlier in the interview how you went from corporate where you could just, like you said, you could call the IT department if computer breaks, and then you become the IT department when you own your own business. And so let's talk about how you made that transition, what kind of skill sets that you had to bring to bear, and how you had to reorient your day and your thinking, because I'm sure there's a lot of listeners right now in corporate jobs, maybe thinking of making that same leap that you made. So I'm sure they'd love to hear your perspective, especially now as you record this, you've had 17 successful years, so you've made that transition. So what's your perspective? Well, I think I think the number one thing is that you have to be able to structure your day by yourself as well as to be totally flexible because you never know what's going to come in and interrupt your day. But uh, you do have to make sure that you always keep in mind the big picture of what overall you're trying to accomplish and not get mired down too much in too many of the day-to-day details. And I think my mind is like a sponge. I've always loved going to school and learning. So anything that I didn't know how to do, 
I would take webinars. I would ask people. I would figure out how to do it or hire somebody to do it and show me how to do it while they're doing it so I wouldn't have to pay them again. But I don't, I'm not sure you can ever completely be ready to do something like that. I think you just kind of have to make the leap. Yeah, and you hear a lot of people talking about that, that you leap first. You know, obviously, it's got to be a controlled leap. You don't want to just sure. leap without any planning or whatever. But at at a certain point, you do have to just say, you know what, I'm going to take that step. And then you have to say, I'll figure it out as I go, right? Exactly. That's exactly what you have to do. I'm not saying that, that a business plan isn't important, but you can try and overthink and you know, plan for every single thing, but I have run into, you know, hundreds of things that I never would have imagined would have happened. And you just figure it out. Speaking of things that you've had to figure out, and I thought it was pretty interesting earlier in the interview when you were talking about you had to deal with a tree that fell through a uh, guest room when they were there. And I'm imagining they, they didn't get hurt. It, it seemed that way in the story. So that they didn't get hurt, right? No, not at all. Okay, good, good. I was just saying. But I think it's a wedding anniversary. They'll always remember. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I would say that, uh, you know, a hurricane bringing a tree down in through your room at a bed and breakfast, it probably is in the top five <laughs> of memorable moments in your marriage. But, so I think you have something else to teach the folks listening right now. And it just struck me that how to do customer service, because I think in your industry, and especially you had mentioned the increasing competition that's going on. And the fact that really in this day and age of the internet, you really kind of live and die with your online comments and your reviews and all those things is, you know, because a lot of times people won't even give you the chance to if they've never heard of you before, if they see bad reviews, oh, I'm not even going to bother calling. They won't even give you the chance to interact with them. So I just like to hear, because I think that what you have can translate to any industry as far as how you think about customer service, how you think about solving problems for them, because really after thousands of interactions with people, I think you bring a unique perspective to the table. So what say you about that? Well, you are absolutely right. When I started the business, um, there were no online reviews. And in fact, at the time when I started, the previous owner said, oh, I'm not sure you really need a website. And it's like, I think I do. So that it is an interesting sort of game almost with people because the reviews that are on there so many times, what always bothers me if somebody leaves a negative review is that they wouldn't tell you while they were there, so you had the chance to address it. So you really have to learn to make sure that you are talking to each and every guest and making sure that they're having the experience that they thought they wanted to have or you're exceeding their expectations. So if there are issues, you know, they feel comfortable enough to be able to bring them up so that you can address them and if not correct them entirely, at least make an effort to give them the experience that they went there for that they were, that they came for. I think the worst thing that you can do is ignore somebody or not listen to what they're saying. Cause sometimes they're not going to say it, but you can hear it in their voice and you can tell that something's not right. And that's when you have to sort of souse it out a little bit and just say, Ooh, what was the matter? You know, and, uh, work it out from there. 
What are some things that you've learned over the years in terms of dealing with customers as far as being able to quickly get to the heart of the matter of what's bothering them or even to maybe make sure that their experience is as best as it can be? What are, are there some things that you can tell us that might cross all sorts of industries as, as people that listen or dealing with their own customers? What would you say? Well, I think body language is really important when you're talking with somebody because I think particularly in this world of social media and people really aren't that used to interacting with each other, that if you really do pay attention, not to what they're saying, but how they're saying it and how they're looking at you when they're talking about something, I think it's, uh, I have found that it's pretty easy to read whether the words that they're saying are matching what's going on in their heads. And um, then it's kind of your job to try and uh, assess out whether it's an issue with the stay that's there or whether it's maybe something else that's going on in their life that, you know, doesn't have anything to do with you. But in fact, Jeff, I have a couple of stories for you. There was one guest who came in late and they were so apologetic. They'd had this terrible day. Their car had broken down. They had a flat tire. It was pouring rain the whole way they were there. And all they could think about was that I was sitting there waiting for them. And I just looked at them. I said, hey, your day today was terrible, but it stops now. They're here to relax. So just tell me, what do you want right now? And they said, I want a drink. And I said, well, I have a bunch of wine in the basement. You tell me what you want. And I gave them a bottle of wine and they had the best visit ever. I had a couple, as a matter of fact, the last weekend, they came uh, 14 years ago. They came for their honeymoon because their original trip to the Caribbean had been canceled because of a hurricane. And when they came, they said, we vowed that we would come back. But you gave us two bottles of wine then. Do you remember what those bottles of wine were? And I was upset because I hadn't written it down. And I just said, no, I'm sorry, I don't. But if you tell me what kind of wine you like, I'll make sure you have it. And they had, in the 14 years, they'd walked in with three kids. And that's what they'd done in the 14 years since they'd been there. It's wonderful stories. And it's great illustrations of just going that extra mile and creating memorable experiences for people, right? Exactly. Exactly. Sometimes people come and tell me stories of things that happened when they were when they were at the inn that sadly I don't remember, but it did make a big impression on them. And nothing makes me more happy than that. Yeah, you ought you ought to start a podcast yourself. I mean, I guess in all your spare time. Right. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But it should be in stories. I mean, because I bet you you've got a lot of great stories to relate to people. Oh, I do. I have lots of stories. Uh, I do have a blog that I do. And I think one of my favorite ones that I wrote recently was 10 Reasons Why My Inn Will Never Be in a Hallmark Movie. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you're going to have to give me a link to that one so we can put it in the resource section because uh, they definitely have to, the the listeners definitely have to read that. So check that out in the resource section. I promise that it'll be there. So. All right, let's head into some Athena-based questions. Search eight Athena leadership principles from the book Becoming Athena, Eight Principles to Enlighten Leadership by Athena International founder Martha Mertz. And, you know, I think that, uh, Peggy, this is a good one for you. Your principle to talk about is foster collaboration. What does that mean to you? Well, I thought about that a lot. And I think one of the things that has been 
interesting for me over my journey is the fact when I was in corporate America, I always thought that I had to do something important and make a huge splash and do something. My fourth grade teacher told me that I was going to be the first woman president, which is not something that I ever really wanted to be. But I think what I found out in my years of innkeeping is one of the things that has been, besides the guests, that has been the most rewarding to me is working with a number of the employees that I have. And basically, the employees that I have for housekeeping and some of the other chores would normally be part-time, minimum-waged people. And I have worked with these women, some of them for as long as 10 years. And it is interesting to see what my relationship with them and bringing them along and making them a part of the business part of the team of the business because I share with them the results of the business and the things that we're trying to do. And I teach them things about the business. It never ceases to amaze me that someone will come into my employ and not know how to make a bed or not know how to set a table, but teaching people some of these basics and teaching them about the business, how to act, I think has been some of the most rewarding relationships that I've had. Well, that's a perfect dovetail to question number two that we usually ask with the Athena questions that we have. And, and really, I think you have a unique perspective on this because as you had mentioned earlier in the interview, how you fought against early in your career, the whole stereotype management thing where it's like, well, you have to be veteran and male and married to be the perfect management candidate. And since then, the attitudes have changed quite a bit as we've moved on. But talk about from your viewpoint, how women these days are elevating other women and celebrating it. I think more and more I see because there are more and more women in the workplace that you don't need to have as, as I would have needed when I was in corporate, a male, somebody to mentor you, but you have someone that you can look up to and work with that looks like you and acts like you and has gone through some of these same experiences as you have. And I think that is what is so much better and I think is improving the workplace now versus when I started back in 1976. And from your perspective as a owner, uh, what are some things that you're proud of as far as elevating women in business and into leadership roles? I think it's been both in my own particular job and a lot of the volunteer work that I've done because I've been on a number of the boards of uh, the chamber in town as well as some nonprofits that are in town as well. I've worked very closely with some of the uh, members and employees of the chamber and working with them to help promote the town and create uh, an environment that promotes both the town and tourism in the town has been very rewarding. All right, let's get into some resources that you might 
offer to people. Now, I'm going to, of course, tell people that uh, we're going to do your blog post that you talked about, why you're never going to be in a Hallmark movie. And um, I want to read that. I can't wait to read that. I can't wait to get done with this interview and read that. And um, grapearborbnb.com, of course, that's a resource. That's your official website. But uh, some other resources that you might point people at as far as things that inspire you or things that you think they should plug into. Well, I am a very avid podcast listener for the two and a half hours in the morning. If I'm doing breakfast, that's generally what I'm listening to. So I listen to a a wide variety of subjects from political to cooking to leadership to uh, how to do social media, which is something I'm always trying to learn how to do. But I'm also a very avid reader. And right now I've been very impressed. I just finished reading the the Melinda Gates book, The Moment of Lift, which I found uh, very inspiring. And I'm also um, an avid follower of Gretchen Rubin, if you're familiar with her. She does a lot of studies on uh, happiness and uh, the important tendencies. Those things I find very interesting. All right, let's get into our final question. And as listeners know, what I do is I give my guest the floor at the beginning and then I give it to her at the end. So I'm going to pass the mic over to you. Peggy and uh, ask you to tell the listeners whatever is on your mind as we close out the podcast. Um, I think I want to talk a little bit about the idea of success and what is successful because over the course of my career, I've gone from thinking that what I had to do was make, you know, um, a six, a six digit salary and then I would be successful or I had to have a certain title or then I would be successful, or, you know, I had to travel internationally and that would make me successful. And instead, what I've really found is that to me anyways, being successful is being able to really do a little something in somebody's life that makes their life a little bit better. I have found with this job, unlike all of my corporate jobs, that I get more positive feedback than I have in any other job that I've ever had. Um, And it just makes me stop and pause and say, you know, what am I doing that I wasn't doing there? Well, I'm paying attention to people and I am making their life just a little bit better. And that really feels good. And I can't remember exactly who said it. I think it was Emerson or Longfellow. I've talked about it on the podcast before. And I always, you think I would commit this quote to memory because I love it so much. But at any rate, it's basically if your presence has allowed one life to breathe easier, then that means you've had a successful life. And it seems like that's the conclusion you've drawn. Exactly. That's Ralph Waldo Emerson. I have that sitting up on my board. (laughs) Okay. Now, and thanks to you on this podcast, I'll be able to, I'll be able to say, instead of saying, well, I wonder if it was Longfellow or Emerson, and I'll be able to say with confidence now it was Ralph Waldo Emerson. So that was definitely the price of worth the price of admission for this podcast. But no, there was so there was so much more to it. It was great, and thank you very much for being here, Peggy Hauser the owner and keeper of the Grape Arbor Bed and Breakfast. By the way, if you check out the reviews online, she's got very high reviews because I can tell you it's a wonderful place and you should definitely consider it. 
because uh, it's just so beautiful up in that area. And grapearborbnb.com, that's how you can check it out. Peggy, thanks so much for your time. Thanks, Jeff. It was great talking with you. On the next episode of Women Really Mean Business, presented by Athena International, the agony of a divorce and the uncertainty surrounding becoming a newly single mom inspired this entrepreneur and author to, well, inspire other single moms via coaching and a book. It's an amazing transition from pain to success. Here's a bit more from Jenny Askins. And at the time I started writing this book, I was married. And I just, you know, I was feeling, I just had a baby. My whole life changed. My marriage was falling apart. Looking back now, I can tell you I probably was dealing with some postpartum depression. I definitely had um, anxiety. And and, and the fact that my marriage was falling apart was not helping. So to get back to um, the book is kind of, and this is what even leads me forward to what I'm doing now. Are you interested in becoming a guest? Check out our Being a Guest page at womenreallymeanbusiness.com. All levels of business accepted. We love a wide range of stories.